You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. So the topic of this week that we're digging into is the topic of trust. Now we've talked about responsibility versus victim. We've talked about integrity, uh, keeping your word. We've talked about a lot of different things, but trust is one that we really haven't gotten into uh, up to this point. Now the principle, the concepts of trust that I'm going to share are very different than what most of us have probably grown up with in church or in the books we've come across um, because the concepts of trust as they were laid out in um, The Bulletproof Husband, which uh, were just absolutely uh, earth-shaking for me. I mean, it was probably... When it came down to writing the book, they were the hardest chapters for me to write because how do I put these concepts into words? It really, um, for me, for some reason, maybe it's because my massive trust issues from where I come from in my past, but to actually put it into words that made sense and deal with the, any feelings of contradiction or um, arguments that would come up against it, it was a challenging process. Uh, but at the core of the process is seeing trust as a currency. So in the same way that you have, you know, ones, fives, tens, twenties in your wallet, um, you know, fifties, hundreds, you know, with this crowd, but, uh, you know, whatever currency you want to picture in, in your wallet, your purse, think of trust as a currency. It's not a feeling. It's a real thing that you either have it or you don't have it. And when you're looking at your relationships with other people, uh, you can think of them like a bank and whether you have currency in their bank or not. So perhaps it's your spouse. And as a man, I'll, I'll say my wife. So she's the bank and the bank manager. And there's been points in our marriage where I owed the bank a million dollars. I had overdrafted. I had done so many withdrawals and had just buried myself in emotional trust debt to the bank. But then to actually learn, you can pay back the bank. And there's proactive, specific things you can do to rebuild trust that each time you do that, it's, it's like let's say over the course of the first 14 years of being married, I took withdrawals, withdrawals, withdrawals. Now I started the marriage with this sweet, innocent young lady who believes in me and has trust in me. And I start with a positive balance. And then I whittle that away over years down to the point of being a million dollars in debt to the bank. And that's usually when you get slapped with, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Or I am, uh, I need to have time alone to go heal, or I need a separation, I need a divorce, I 
Uh, I'm going to go get 14 cats or I'm going to go, you know, find a guy or whatever. And you have all the ways that 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 can blow out. And yet there comes actually understanding trust as currency to say, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to write a check for $10,000, go to the bank and deposit it. Now, the person at the bank is going to go, well, you owe a million but you haven't made a payment in years. So this is amazing, but I don't trust it yet. But then I show up the next week, here's another 10,000. And the next week, another 10,000 and another 10,000. And these deposits start to add up. And over time, the bank, oh, hey, Mr. Weldon, it's great to see you. And, you know, this is so great. And maybe, maybe only... 600,000 gets paid off out of the million. And the bank says, you know what? We're gonna just forgive the rest of the debt. Now that might not normally happen in a bank situation, but in a relational situation, it often happens. You don't typically have to pay off the whole million dollars. You just have to actually show good faith of showing up consistently, reliably, to the point that they go, oh yeah, he, he hasn't made withdrawals in, in months or years. He's just made deposit, deposit, deposit. This is a different person. This is not the overdrafting, irresponsible, untrustworthy, dangerous person that was constantly making withdrawals. This is a different person who's showing up, depositing, 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 depositing. See, when we don't think about trust in these very practical ways, like a currency, we often think of it just as a feeling. I don't know if I trust that person, if I don't trust that person, or they don't seem trustworthy to me. And we just follow our feelings with this, but they can be so uh, really misleading and deceptive because your feelings can be messed up by other people that hurt you. And now you're not trusting somebody who's completely trustworthy, perhaps. So you end up on the defensive. You end up basically being a bank that doesn't trust any customers ever and won't lend out any money to anybody. So at that point, you're not really functioning even as a bank. You're just kind of a vault. So the danger of, of not trusting is you really end up not having any connections where you can actually give and trust and let people take withdrawals because not all withdrawals are bad. So we have to think in terms of, not just to black and white of deposits are good, withdrawals are bad. There's withdrawals that are positive as well. Like if you get in a relationship with your bank and you say, I would like to get a 30 year mortgage, they are thrilled because they're gonna earn all that interest off of you over 30 years, as long as you're gonna keep paying. So that withdrawal is a win-win situation. You get to buy a house, they get to buy new cars uh, off the interest of your new house. So you have this win-win situation going on. So uh, a good example of that for us was after we had gotten to a point in our marriage where things had been really rock solid and steady for about a year and a half or so, maybe close to two years, um, Karen took the risk to say, 
let's move from New York down to South Carolina. Now that's a withdrawal. You may not see it that way, but that was a withdrawal of her trust to say, I'm gonna uproot, I'm gonna leave the town, the people, the friends, the church, the relatives, the everything that I know to move to a new state 800 miles away People, you know, neighbors we don't know, area we don't know, we have to GPS everything, you know, we, we have to go to Food Lion instead of Wegmans, you know, all the, all the challenges of those shifts to really now, nine months, 10 months later, she looks back and goes, this is the best decision. I love living here. This is amazing. So the withdrawal has been paid back and with interest. Wow, Jonathan, you were right. This is a great place to live. I love our new house. I love our view. I love that there's not snow six months of the year. I love I can see the sun. This is amazing. Like that, those things have actually paid that trust back. And that withdrawal was really more like an investment where I'm saying, hey, I would like to make a proposition to have you invest in this idea. And when that trust came, it has been paid back. So I say that to say not all withdrawals are uh, negative. So sometimes if you're being careful and you're, you're leading and you're being proactive, you can make withdrawals and then it actually strengthens the relationship. There comes a point sometimes where you say, listen, can you just really just trust me on this one? And they go, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and then they choose to, and then they go, wow, you were so right. And you want to make sure that you are right when you do that, because otherwise that could really blow up. Um, but that's, that's one aspect of trust is withdrawals and deposits and investments, really. So a withdrawal that's an investment. So then Another aspect of it is when you're building trust. So when you're making the deposits, you are actually um, demonstrating leadership. So if someone doesn't trust you, you can't lead them anywhere. So there comes an aspect, let's say that you're the head of a ministry or a senior pastor and you say, okay, I want to do a new building program your people are going to have to trust. They're going to have to trust that you're healthy enough that you're not going to drop dead in the next six months. They're going to have to trust that you're not going to go run off with the secretary and blow up the church in, in a moral failure. They're going to have to trust that you're not going to steal all the money and go buy yourself a, a new car or whatever. Um, you, you have to have enough trust in a lot of ways. And those are just the humorous over-the-top examples, but there has to be a high trust level for you as a leader to lead them into something big and risky. And it might not be that big of a building program, but that's, that's just a clear picture that we can easily understand. But if you don't have the trust, you can't lead people. So if you're going to be a leader, you have to have people's trust. Dr. Welton's mega best-selling book, Raptureless, unleashed a theological tsunami in the church world. Since it was announced 10 years ago, it has become a mainstay of countless Bible schools around the world and has been translated into a dozen languages. This book keeps selling out on Amazon and Audible, so grab your copy today before it's gone again.
Stephen Covey, the guy who wrote um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he also wrote a lesser known book called The Speed of Trust. And that's a good, it's, it's worth getting, getting an audiobook of it, whatever, The Speed of Trust. He talks about your relationships move at the speed uh, level of the amount that people trust you. If they totally trust you, they're ready to go. Let's go for it. If they have super low trust, they want to go slow with you. And so there's this process of building trust in the relationship actually increases the speed that you can go as a leader that people will go with you without flying off the boat. So there's the uh, having trust as a leader gives you the opportunity to lead. If you don't have their trust, they're not going anywhere with you. And we see this in every ministry. We see it in businesses. You start to see an employee who is disgruntled. They, they asked for a raise and they got 1% and they felt you know hurt over that. And now they start to talk bad to other people and they start spreading it and all of that. And the trust goes down. And now the leader isn't really able to lead people because they've lost trust. And maybe there's the people that trust them that are ready to go and the people who aren't, who aren't ready to go. And we see that in churches. We see it in church splits all the time. And maybe not just the church splits, but even just the disgruntled uh, deconstructionists that want to leave because they don't trust. They don't trust God. They don't trust the Bible. They don't trust leaders. They don't trust teachers. All of that. So it comes back over and over and over again to trust is vital to leadership. You have to have trust. You have to know how to build trust. Because if you have a congregation of 100 people or a company of 100 employees, you've got to have a relationship with all 100 banks that you are making deposits in every bank account emotionally in those trust relationships so that they are ready to actually follow you somewhere so that the trust is there to go somewhere so the ability to the ability to build trust with a hundred people is a different leadership level than the ability to build trust with a thousand or five thousand people and some of it is emotional in the sense of emotionally building trust, but a lot of it goes back to what we've been talking about in the previous weeks about responsibility, about integrity, about your confidence level. Uh, we have a higher trust in somebody who has a higher confidence level. We should have a higher trust in somebody who has a higher integrity level. If they say, I'm gonna be there at four o'clock, they're there at four o'clock. If they're there at 4.05, they take responsibility. They apologize. They say, I'm going to, I'll clean it up, but I'm going to buy your coffee today, whatever, you know, and they, they do, they have an awareness that their integrity really matters to them. You can have higher trust in them. Uh, the concept of trust that I'm talking about mostly is about uh, building trust, but there's another side to this. So the other side is about giving trust, the side where you're the bank. And that's hard because when you're the bank, 
there's the fear of, well, I've, I've given out these loans before. I've given out trust. And this person didn't, it wasn't worthy and they failed me. And this person broke my trust and this person broke my, you know, we've all been through that. So a few thoughts on that. First of all, to actually trust, you have to be responsible. You have to come from a place that says, I am choosing to trust. And if they be, turn out to be untrustworthy, I know that's going to hurt. I know that I will experience hurt. I will experience surprise and disappointment and all of whatever feelings I'm going to feel. And I will not be a victim of their untrustworthiness. I will be responsible. I will own the fact that, no, no, I chose to trust them. That was my choice. And the best, one of the best ways to do that is to see your trust as a gift. I'm giving my trust. When you give it as a gift, it's not something they can betray you about because it's a gift. Well, I, I chose to trust you. And you chose to, whatever, go squander it however you chose to. But you know what? I chose to give you that trust. Instead of now I'm going to go into victim mode and be so deeply hurt and betrayed, which what you're doing there is you're taking their actions personally. When really their untrustworthiness has everything to do with them with their bullets, their wounds, their triggers, the fact that they were untrustworthy was all about them. It wasn't about you. When we take it personal, it then feels like I'm a victim. I'm wounded by their choices. So part of the thing of leadership though is when we give our trust, we actually bring out the best in somebody. If we think in terms of uh, if I were to if I were to walk into a room and introduce my friend before he gets there, I say, you know, Bob's going to come in here after me, and uh, you know, you don't have to tell him this, but I just want you all to know he I think he's the most incredible guy. He's an incredible husband. He he's he's a servant leader. He really takes care of his community and his family. His kids love him. I think you're going to be so impressed with my friend, Bob. Everybody in the room is already going to see him in a different light before he walks into the room. And he will now, a better Bob will show up because people will be pulling on him in a way. And we hear about this concept, usually people talk about honor. But a lot of, a lot of what really we're saying is about extending a deposit of trust. I trust Bob. And you, you should trust Bob too. It's like when the millionaire you know says, this is a good investment. You should really buy this Apple stock. It's 1985 and I really think you should buy a couple shares of this stock. And you're like, I'm gonna listen to you because you know what you're doing. So trust is a huge part of that. Honor sometimes can almost sound like flattery. And I'm gonna build this person up is different than I'm, I'm actually telling you, I trust this person and I think you should consider trusting them too. When you do that, part of what you're doing is you're leading other people in trust, but you're also, you're sowing. 
and you reap what you sow. So the more that you actually sow trusting, you start reaping the benefit of more trusting relationships. When you say to your, to your child, okay, I'm going to give you this toy and here's the rule. I, when you're done, I need you to put it in that box over there. And I'm trusting you to do this. Can you do this? Yeah. It's a huge sowing in that moment that they are then going to take that and go do something with it. And we trust people before they're untrustworthy most of the time. The realization of, say, your 16-year-old, you get in the car and they've passed their little permit test at the DMV, but they've never driven a car. And you're going to put them behind the wheel in a parking lot filled with light poles. You're hoping that they don't find the light pole, even though it's a big empty parking lot, uh, they still could. And yet that we, we often have to trust people before we know whether we can trust them. Probably every time we get on the road, we are literally trusting that the other people have some idea what they're doing or are sober or are whatever, you know, they have their glasses on. So we often are trusting people before we know whether they're trustworthy. So this defensive victim mentality of like, I'm only gonna trust people when they prove themselves to me, isn't real. It's, it sounds like a way of living, but we don't live like that. We trust that when I sit in the chair, the chair will hold me up. Why? Because most chairs do. And I've had a good experience with chairs. We trust thousands of things every single day. And then we get into certain situations where we have a bullet hole, we have a trigger, and that area we've tried to protect. And we just don't wanna trust in that one area. Even a person that we say is untrustworthy. Oh, I don't trust Jonathan because he manipulated people or he used people to feed his ego. Yeah, I did. But then there's this other aspect of, nobody's ever accused me of anything negative with finances because I was never untrustworthy with finances. So you could probably come up with a hundred other things to go, I, I trust John's theology. It's amazing. I love it. I trust John is a kind person. He's always been kind in his interactions. I trust that he, and you could come up with, actually, there's a hundred things I trust about him that never were shaken. But there's two or three areas where he was a dirtbag and I don't trust him about those. Yeah, absolutely. That's the reality of our, struggle that we have, if we're being honest, it's not that we distrust people 100% when we're in a place of distrust. What we distrust is the area where we feel wounded, where we feel like a victim, and we don't want to feel like a victim again. I don't trust men to not use me as a sexual object. Why? Because when I was four years old, my uncle did da 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 not my situation i'm talking hypothetically and you know that's where a lot of women think in a category toward men that says i don't trust men because they whatever well you don't trust men in this way but you trust men in a lot of other ways you trust the man who's out there cutting trees down so you can live in a house made of wood 
Like you trust men to do all the things, to keep the electricity on, to keep the sewers working for you, to keep, you know, all the other things we trust men to do, but I don't trust men to not da 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 is connected to the wound that's connected to that victim area. Now I'm saying that for women, but men, we have just as many issues toward women and how we don't trust them because they're gonna this and they're gonna that. And yet those are just areas that actually connect to our own wounding and is not about the outside. That's a projection that we're putting on them because of the wounding where we're actually trying to protect ourselves. So then going back for a second, trust is a choice, not a feeling. Trust has a cost. Trust is a gift, not a loan. And nobody else is responsible for your trust. When we start putting it, well, I'll trust them when they are trustworthy. When we start thinking like that, we're actually giving them the power to control our trust. When we actually step back and we say, okay, I believe that people who live and act this way are trustworthy, then we give people the opportunity to demonstrate it. But when we start setting up boundaries and walls up toward everything, toward everyone, trying to protect ourselves, we end up in this defensive victim posturing versus saying, you know what, I, you know, this is what causes me to want to really trust somebody. When I see man, they always show up on time, they keep their word, they're, they're proactive, they, um, when they, you know, I, I have friends who often, uh, I'll be on the phone with them, and uh, he'll say, oh, I got another call, I'll call you back in a minute. I know that in a minute could mean anywhere from a minute to two days later when he remembers to call me back, and I'm like, whatever, bro, but there's, there's the other guys who say, I'll call you back in a few minutes. And I know they're calling back. I have a different trust for those different behaviors. And so there's, there's that, uh, that awareness of trust. And so this is such a huge topic. It's really hard to encapsulate all the different pieces of this. Sometimes you're the leader who needs people to trust you. Sometimes you're the bank who needs to extend trust to others. Sometimes you need to forgive a debt of trust because you're seeing somebody is becoming trustworthy. And one last aspect to this picture, this might not be relatable for everybody, but the uh, if you think back to when we used checks and you have your bank book. So you know you're gonna write a check and then you're gonna write down, I paid my electric bill $53 or whatever. Um, that would be amazing. Uh, <laughs> I can't even get a cell phone for that. <laughs> I paid Verizon $120 again. <laughs> and so you write your check and then you write it in your bank book. Relationships have bank books. Now I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but this is just a mental metaphor that happens. And what happens in your relationship is, is you're keeping track. Oh, 
this person, they, they don't call me back on time. This person's always late. This person doesn't keep their word. This person doesn't, they borrow five bucks and they never gave me back my five bucks. They, you know, and you get your bank book going, but you can also write the positives. This person, they, they sent me a card for my birthday. This person, you know, whatever, they put gas in my car when they borrowed it. You have the positives that can go in the bank book as well. Now, especially in a marriage, that bank book can become really important because one of the things we, we try to help guys see uh, for the men is don't have a bank book. Don't do it. It's a huge trap. It's a danger to your marriage. Don't have a bank book where you're holding an account of a record of rights and wrongs with your wife. Just learn to love and trust. But there is a side of the feminine that is always valuing emotional safety really high. It's super important to feel emotionally safe. To feel emotionally safe also means that you know that your husband is trustworthy. So from that aspect of, I feel like he's trustworthy, wives have a bank book that they keep track of, and we challenge men to make the deposits and minimize the withdrawals. Stop making withdrawals from this relationship, which a withdrawal can look like she says something and you get triggered. You fly off the handle. Wow, you just pulled $1,000 out of the trust account. You just sunk yourself further in debt by being a man who's now being triggered rather than being a safe emotional space for his wife. So teaching men to stop making the withdrawals and, and to start making the deposits. Take ownership, take responsibility, stop being controlling, give her back the freedom that she's always had that you, you tried to crush. Those different things that bring a sense of safety and trust into the relationship. When a man can do that, he can start to knock things off the bank book because what we start to see even with a regular bank book is eventually it gets full and you have to go get a new one well if you've been a crap husband for 10 years you have a bank book that's filled with all these negative withdrawals but then you start shifting and maybe two years of deposit after deposit you now have a bank book in your wife's eyes where she sees all deposits and it's completely changed. The game has changed. Her trust is high. She sees who you are. She sees the real you that you're being now. And the old bank book doesn't get referenced. It actually starts to fade away. The things that you heard about for the first 10 years as, well, you, you always do this. You never get the oil changed on my car. You never take the garbage out on Tuesday when you're supposed to. You always forget to pick the kids up from soccer practice. You always, and you actually shift those things to being trustworthy. Eventually, that trustworthiness will catch up with you. And your new reputation is actually trustworthy. You can be trustworthy long before other people trust you. There's a lag time between those two. You can be trustworthy and it'll take other people a while to catch up.
I can say for myself, I stepped into becoming trustworthy in the spring of 2020. And there are people who are still working on trusting me and I'm still making deposits in the relationship and I'm still building it up. I'm still knocking things off the bank book as I'm building that, closing that gap between I am trustworthy, but there's a lack of trust. And so as that gap closes, there's, there's a place where it meets, where they go, oh, okay, and the debt is gone. It's knocked off of the bank book. Some big withdrawals that, that happen for men um, would be like major financial choices that they didn't check with their wife about. Uh, you know, I bought a new car and I didn't even talk to you. Um, there's things where they would hurt the child some way, whether it's something mean they said or physically they were too aggressive, things like that. Huge withdrawals of trust. Uh, and the most obvious, of course, would be affairs, anything extramarital, emotional, physical affairs, different levels of, of trust withdrawals that take place. Interesting conversation that happened last week was with um, Megan Kelly, the anchor from Fox News, was being interviewed and she was talking about uh, that she would have a harder time if her husband had an emotional affair where he was sitting with a woman, crying, pouring out his heart, sharing his feelings, versus if he actually went out and had a physical affair and had sex with a woman, a one night stand, that she'd have a harder time with the emotional affair. So the deposits and the withdrawals are also deeply personal because some women might hear that and go, absolutely, I feel 100% the same way. And other women go, you are crazy. That is not how I see the world. So the withdrawals and the deposits are also very personal. So getting to know what, how they land on people's bank books. And really this is not a conversation that anybody has awareness of. So you kind of have to figure it out as you go. Oh yeah, this thing right here, that means a lot to that person. But other things, um, they don't really care when I, when I show up on time or not. They're never on time. I show up and stand there alone for 20 minutes before they arrive. That's not a high value to them. But for somebody else, it, it is their highest value. They're there five minutes early or they think that they're late. So there's all different values on these things. So this is, this is as much as I can do to really scratch the surface on this topic. Trust has so many applications but it's such a huge part of being a leader. So being a leader, leading people, you have to master trust, how to build it, how to maintain it, how to protect it, how to sow it so that you can keep reaping it and people will go with you and being trustworthy has to come first. So becoming trustworthy, then you trust yourself, then people eventually will trust you as a byproduct. So it's not the goal to get people to trust you while you're untrustworthy and while you don't even trust you and you know that you aren't trustworthy. You wanna make sure you start with the internal, become trustworthy, trust yourself, and then learn how to build trust with others. All right, I'm gonna wrap it up with that right there. Thank you all for listening and have a great week. 
So, no, I'm not the 